welcome to the new year and the next episode of the Mid-Era Meets podcast, where we talk to a wide range of people from the music world. This month, I'm speaking to Johnny Amos, who is a super talented pop songwriter and producer, as well as being a talented guitarist, vocalist and performer. Johnny works for a Scandinavian pop specialist and has penned a huge number of songs for some really big artists over the years. He's also done sync writing for MTV, Film 4 and Sky One and is the creative director of a pop production company of his own called Song Lab based in Birmingham. I caught up with Johnny about two weeks ago to talk about his career and the first question I asked him was about his musical beginnings. I remember um, having a keyboard uh, in my my mum and dad's kitchen and I used to play what I now know as firsts and thirds. So I used to hit these chords, sing along to something. There was a cassette recorder uh, in the corner of the room on the microwave and when my mum and dad were out, I used to record ideas, so I'd put a cassette tape on, I'd record these first and thirds, uh, first and thirds, and I'd use my other hand over here, so I've got like two two-note two chords on my right hand, and my left hand to the right of that hand, it sounds totally bizarre, but I used to <laughs> now know what I, what I now know is top lining with the other hand, so I would create melodies on like an octave or two higher, and then I'd turn those melodies into, uh, you know, vocal melodies and put lyrics to it. And I was doing this when I was like eight, nine years old. And I was so shy. I was a really unconfident kid. So I'd document, I'd keep all these tapes, didn't do anything with them until I was uh, 15 or 16 when I started playing guitar. And then I used to revisit them and I still got them. I've All the places I've moved to over the last 20 years of making music, I've taken those tapes with me. And every now and again, I'd tap back into them for if I need new ideas. And I'll just convert them into MP3s, tick them in Ableton and see what they are. That's incredible. Yeah. That's great, man. And do you, do you remember what keyboard it was? Uh, do you know I should know, but I can't remember. I think it was a Casio of some description, and it had a, a purple uh, drum kit on the front with those pads. Those kind of, I get they're more like kind of uh, MPD pads, you know, mm-hmm. kind of you know, so you can feel the middle of it. Just one of those typical kind of eighties keyboards that had bossa nova and swing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but yeah, we were so lucky. Our generation to pretty much every household had one of those oh, yeah. keyboards, didn't they? Yeah. Like even I think going to my nan and granddad's house, they just had a keyboard that did all those, <laughs> you know, all the beats. Yeah. yeah. And even church organs in that era seemed to have them. Uh, they just even kind of standard old upright church organs had those buttons on that you could just hit. You're like, wow. God. And and it's weird because th- at that time, a lot of people, you know. Like the 808, you listen to it and you go, people at the time, I don't like that because it doesn't sound like drums. And it's the same with those keyboards. Oh, I don't like it. It doesn't sound like drums. It sounds naff. Mm-hmm. Now, all these years later, those sounds are cool as hell and they're sampled all the time. They're used all the time. Yeah. And what else is what else is also really cool now is the tape, the tape thing that you were recording on back then. Everyone's recording things back through cassette tapes now. And yeah. For the, for the, like, the crunchiness, the lo-fi element. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. It's a, yeah, it's sort of beautiful, isn't it? For, for for like the nostalgia of what that sounds like to you and me. Oh yeah. We're like it elevates the music that's being made by the youth now because it's like yeah, that's what we had in 
know that oh, wasn't God, a novelty yeah. for us that was like that was the high fidelity of our time <laughs> yeah that wasn't lo-fi that was that was for <laughs> yeah. your hi-fi <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and you'd get a pencil in the middle and start unwinding and go right let's take it back to this and blah blah, blah. and uh, which kind of moves into kind of where people would cut tape or two-inch tape where you cut it and splice it together and and wow we've got it so easy now it's great mm-hmm. it's you know? a lot easier isn't yeah. it yeah it's so much easier now <laughs> did you ever play those tapes to anyone no no even to this day no still haven't even played them to my wife and she's a musician <laughs> um, no no they were always I think it's because I was really really unconfident child um, and I just wasn't comfortable singing in front of anybody or playing in front of anybody until um, that kind of until the Britpop era in the mid nineties, and that's where I started going. Okay, you might start playing guitar here, and then mm. I started to then tap back into. Oh yeah, I did used to do this without any influence, um, and and uh, and then when I started playing guitar and voicing chords and working out this and that, it kind of then started to come back to me a little bit more. Uh, but uh, I think also the Britpop era is really important in the 90s for me and for countless others I'm sure you know that that especially that whole Oasis message of like yeah look anybody can write songs you know nick, nick them off this song nick them off that song play them here Noel Gallagher made it sound so simple mm-hmm. and people like me were hooked in by that and, and I still am Definitely. Yeah, it was so fruitful. I mean, um, such an incredible time, wasn't it? It was so it was. inspiring. There was just music everywhere. Oh, God. Yeah, we, I think we, we are... We, in years and years and years, decades to come, we'll look back and we'll I'm sure we'll say how lucky we are to, to have been the age we were when we were. I think we were dead lucky, mm. you know. There was so much good music around. It was pre-internet. I don't mean to sound too old when I say this, but, like, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, the modern times are great. They're... They're amazing for a whole multitude of reasons, but I think we were lucky. Yeah, yeah. The pre-internet thing is a thing that people are starting to, like, really think about now, isn't it? They're starting to go, yeah, maybe it was better when we didn't have the internet. Maybe it was a bit easier. So did you go into, like, playing instruments in your teen years? Uh, Yeah, I, I, I remember picking up the guitar thinking, I want to be the best guitar player in the world. And, and it's never happened because... I just got completely distracted by songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you think, right, okay, I've learnt this, I've learnt a major scale, and I've learnt, you know, sort of basic diatonic setup of how chord systems work. So now I know that, there's so much I can do with it that I'm, I'm less interested in knowing this scale or that scale, or and, and I know I shouldn't be, but I'm kind of still like that, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's I know it sounds a bit cheaty and non-purist, but like because I use the Ableton Push when I'm creating melodies quite a lot, so I can just literally set the scale on there, doodle around, and you end up playing stuff that you wouldn't necessarily come up with if you had known your classical scales in the correct way. You know, definitely that's definitely true. Yeah, I remember having discussions with people back in the day about oh, you should know music theory. And some people are like, no, you shouldn't know any, you know. You should just do it free. I think there's a balance, isn't there, like a lot of things in life. There's a balance. And um, I think, uh, you know, as long as you know how to use theory and you know uh, what, a ma- well, what, what a major seventh or a minor ninth is going to do to a song uh, and you know how to extend things. But we're now in an age in Britain in right now where extended chords are back in fashion again. You know, uh, and and that that's that's surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's generated that? Do you think? 
It's a good question, mate. I don't know. I, I, I study these things all the time. Um, I, I, I actually think it's the influence of K-pop. I really do. I think it's the influence of K-pop and, and, and that culture that's kind of sweeping around the West where it's almost like classical values have been... Also, people are bored of, like, you know, 1564 chord arrangement stuff. It's just been so heavily used. It will come back. These things always do. But right now, it's dead as a dodo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh. and, 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 and even just those same chords, but in different patterns. You know, you look at anything the Chainsmokers have, have succeeded with over the last two years, it all starts with the fourth major. Does it? Yeah, and, 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 right. and that's fine, because that's a formula that they've thumbed. I mean, maybe not everything, right? But there's a formula there that they've done. So instead of starting on that one they're going on four so they're still using the same big four chords but they're putting them in a different order mm-hmm. and that's right. interesting you know. it is great to like know all that stuff because like from your point of view in production you you probably you hear that the moment that happens whereas i haven't got a clue i could probably find that on a keyboard if i was trying to but um yeah it's interesting that everyone comes at music from a totally different yeah, angle yeah, and yeah, yeah that, that's great that it's come comes from from the K and J pop, obviously they're huge, huge industries of their own, aren't they? Yeah, the yeah, scene. oh yeah, absolutely. But also, there's I think there's other contributing factors. I mean, crikey, you only have to look at look at EDM, right? You know, everything five years ago was four on the floor, 128 BPM. Now it's not, and and if you there's a, probably a number of reasons to why EDM slowed down, but it's really because of urban music. When you really analyse it, you don't even have to go that deep to work that out. It's hip hop is king of the world. It has been for a few years. It 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 will be for at least the next year or two, I think. And the influence of of triplets and straight eights and all that you know and and scattered rolling snares and stuff has has that's that's everywhere now. It's in it's in EDM. It's in it's it, you know somebody played me a techno record the other day that had a, a trap snare rolling. I thought, wow, okay, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah, and it, it, those things are also being built into software as well, aren't yeah. they? It, like you're able to do those sort of those ratcheted hi hats or snare things. Sometimes with the flick of a switch, I've seen it on yeah. uh, in pieces of software. But yeah, and I think maybe that the resurgence of like sort of underground music, street music like hip hop and grime, is because of the accessibility to making music that w- that we have now, making high fidelity. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Especially, I mean, if you look at grime uh, and, and and drill music out of the UK, there's it's not it's not necessarily uh, exporting itself internationally very well. It remains a very British thing, but the actual, you know, the music behind it is incredibly minimal, and I don't particularly mm-hmm. like it. But we can't ignore it because it's a thing, mm. you know, a huge thing. And the um, number of hits that people are getting online is just amazing. You know, I, I, I know labels that, that spend good money on putting an artist out and they don't get anywhere near the hits that these street kids are getting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said about integrity as well, isn't there? And like intention, you know, like some people putting big bucks behind an advertising campaign that's slightly subliminal, <laughs> you know, and all that, and really deep into the marketing, whereas a kid in their bedroom 
in their pajamas is making like the next big thing. Like, oh yeah, really, really and there's cool, three notes it? in it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not looking down on it either. You know, I think it's great. There's just maybe that's it, it's it's at the forefront of youth culture, and not just in the working class, in the middle class. There's aspirational stuff there for middle class kids to want to be. You know, it, it, again, we were going back to the '90s. There was kids like that in the '90s. There were kids that pretended to be working class because that was the cool thing. So did you? So you played in bands as well, I yes. imagine. Yes. Yeah. What uh, did you play? What did you I, do? I, I, I suppose the the most significant band that I played in was Red Star Rebels, which was a UK rock group, uh, and it's the only band I've ever been in where I wasn't lead singer. But it's also the most successful band I've been in. So what does that say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't sing, Johnny. Backing <laughs> <laughs> <Lacking> vocals. <laughs> but that that band was a good time because that was three years of just pure uh, fun and and hard work. Like just being part of of something that starts out by playing to you know two people and, and a dog in a pub, mm-hmm. and then by the end of the year, you know you, you're playing to forty people that aren't your friends and family. And then three or four months later, you're playing to two, three hundred people. And then by the end of that year, you're sending out tours. And to witness that alongside your mates is a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like nurture, you've nurtured something together. You've all had the same vision yeah. of, of getting to where you want to be. How do, how do you think, like, what were the factors that made that happen for you? Um, I think that it... Synergy is probably the key thing. So the, the relationship between myself and the other band members, you know, there was we all had a brother. I mean, literally, you know, not with each other. We weren't brothers, mm-hmm. but we all knew what it was like to be a brother. And there was a sense of knowing how to share something. If a plate of chicken came out, we'd all divvy it up immediately. You know, mm-hmm. that's how it was. Yeah, um, yeah. We would paper scissors stone to decide everything. <laughs> um, you know, from who's sorting out the mailing list to uh, who's gonna, you know, graffiti outside the venue because that was just a thing that we did. It, yeah, guys, I'm a bit trouble, but whatever. Um, and uh, you know, so whatever the jobs were outside of the musical responsibilities, everything was decided with paper, scissors, stone, and that was just a fair thing. And there's even though there's so many things that have changed in the music industry in the last couple of decades, there's a few things that haven't changed and probably won't change. And that's hard work mm-hmm. and graft and not looking for shortcuts, you know. Um, I remember we were, you know, we, we, we would we, we'd play to three, four hundred people one night and then play to 20 people on the south coast in the pub to no one the next night, you know. And it was like, let's not, we've got to do it, we've got to do it because there might be three girls at the back of that room that night who will then bring their ten mates next time. And I think that kind of grounded humble approach to it was key because that never went away into you know mm. and and i think that a, a lot of young bands not all but a lot of young bands overlook that these days because they feel like they can cheat by paying for online promotion i'm not knocking that it's a thing but um i i think it's not that sustainable um it, it's quite easy to you know, spend money and pull up your data these days, but it doesn't mean they're going to be people are going to be at a gig on Friday. Definitely, and also those gigs where you do play in front of no one, um, 
I believe me, I've done that as a DJ many a time, probably more times than anyone's been watching. But um, they're quite character building, aren't they? You learn a lot in those situations. And if you can get through those, those like problematic gigs where it is a bit awkward or, you know, something goes wrong. Yeah, I imagine when you are in front of a lot of people, it's like... Now I'm ready for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember one night being uh, playing at the Portland Arms in Cambridge and we were, we were always weak in Cambridge. I don't know why we were strong in this town and that town and this city, whatever, but we were weak there. We just didn't have much of a following. We played Portland Arms and we were the headline act and we knew that there was going to be probably no more than 20 people there if we're lucky. It was a cold Tuesday night in December. And so we said, right, let's use this as a little bit of a rehearsal and let's absolutely go for it. And we did. And there was an A&R from Warners there that night who right. then ended up referring us to it. it we, you know, and it, it helps. You know, it was the thing that helped our network build. But I'm telling that story because it's a, it's a good lesson, you know, to, mm. for young bands to, to, to keep in mind that, you know, you never know who's there. And it does only take one pair of ears to change your life forever. So um, that didn't. But nevertheless, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, well done for going for it as much. We absolutely went for it. And there's about four people in the room, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess if an A&R person uh, sees that happening and they like your music, then... Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go for it because yeah, they know what you you what you're capable of. Yeah, that's brilliant, man. That's yeah. amazing. I like the <laughs> thing of graffitiing all of the the venues as well. I know it's wrong, but I like that. Like, it's like a trademark maneuver, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, a cool one. Yeah, like uh, not as arty as probably. Not, yeah, it's not. It wasn't Banksy level. <laughs> you know, yeah. we had a stencil and some spray cans and. Uh, but yeah, it did the trick. Every now and again, if I'm, you know, off and about on uh, around Britain, sometimes I'll still see graffiti that we did. Really? Yeah, there's three or four places that spring to mind immediately where it's still there. That's and I think, wow, this was like 12 years ago and it's still there. Yeah. That's cool. And also you mentioned the mailing list as well, which, mm. I mean, it's, yeah, like, it's not probably a fun... It's not a glamorous side of being in a band, is it? Like getting a mailing list together. But that is important, you know, oh, for yeah. a fan base. And, um, yeah, I, I talked to a guy called Phil Nelson a few uh, podcasts ago and he managed um, the Levelers and the Long Pigs and, oh, and a great. lot of other okay. people, um, the guy from Aqualung, um, whose name I probably should have said instead of the guy from... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he, he managed a lot of artists and he said that, yeah, back then, like, the mailing list was, like, the main thing and the levelers would not have been as popular as they were without that mailing list. Really, and, like, I wrote down by hand everyone's name and address. Yeah, it's like you say, it's like, a, it's like a, an investment, isn't it? You know those... Uh, yeah, you can get 200,000 SoundCloud plays with some bit of money, but it doesn't really... Propagate, no, it doesn't propagate society or propagate no, no, it, people it, in it, any way. It, it does doesn't. It? it doesn't. And 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 there's, and we can be fooled by data, but you can fudge data, as we all know. I mean, it, okay. So last year I was doing a um, songwriting session out in New York, and I was sat there with uh, with a very very well respected songwriter, um, and she was telling me. I asked her about an artist that she was managing. I said, "How's he getting on?" She said, "Well, yeah." She said, "I, I played him to." Um, to Atlantic last week, he played a showcase for them, and they absolutely loved him, but uh, he doesn't have enough followers, so they, they didn't want to invest yet. Now, on the one hand, that might seem dreadful, but on the other hand, if you're an A&R and your livelihood is on the line, you only sign three acts a year and you get it wrong, that's your job gone, that's your family in trouble, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can see it from that sense. 
Uh, you know, I see it both ways. However, this kid stopped gigging, right? Stayed in for six months and manually blasted his data and signed to Atlantic eight months later. And that's a true story. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but because uh, I think that, you know, even that was a couple of years ago and now things have changed again. But uh, I don't think data is less important now than it was two years ago, actually, because people are more aware and more savvy about how things can work. But, mm. uh, but yeah, that was quite telling. I thought it was a joke when she told me, <laughs> but I was like, wow, really? Wow. Yeah, I, it, that's, it's a tough one, that, isn't it? Because it, it, that is what you see when, like, let's say you meet someone and you go, oh, you're on YouTube or you're on Instagram or whatever. Like, you do... All of us, you will go to their account and go, oh, it's big. Or like, oh, I haven't got many followers. You sort of, you do make that superficial judgment. We all make that weird superficial judgment, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, for example, my SoundCloud account, I now have a thousand followers. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it public really uh, well I'm going to now <laughs> but that's been like 10 years that's right, been 10 okay. years of of just bad songs and sample packs that have got me and eventually a podcast which has got me to a thousand plays and that has been such a long time I could have paid for a thousand uh, followers you know I could have paid for that ages ago uh, but it doesn't mean nothing but I remember for me when I started the SoundCloud I, I remember thinking wow if I could have a thousand followers <laughs> I'd be like so happy That's like, that was my standard that you I'd did it man you did it fucking took 10 years to do it and now I'm like that's nothing <laughs> but your reach is organic though you know that's yeah, the difference yeah it's a totally natural yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Which, which yeah which has value in itself oh absolutely that's triggered a thought in my mind I remember um do you remember the days of MySpace? Yeah. It doesn't yeah, seem yeah, like yeah. that long ago now, but in other ways, it seems like a lifetime ago. Mm. We, we, we used, uh, in, in the, the Rebel Style Rebels, the band I was talking about earlier, we used that to great effect uh, because we got in there really early with it. And oh, yeah. what we were able to do is to use, I won't say the name of the piece of the software, but um, we used a piece of software that enabled us to spam people in the days before they knew that they were being spammed. So you could put their name in there with using the right coding wow and so what we do is we go right okay we're playing Brighton on Thursday so we've got a rehearsal let's say it's Monday rehearsing Monday night right who's going to leave the uh, who's going to leave their laptop on overnight well this piece of software does its thing <laughs> and and we'd be really cunning about it right so we'd, we'd put like we'd, we'd leave gaps and put the coding in the right way it was just HTML stuff where you put the name in and you go oh, I've seen your profile and I like the bands that you're into such as da, 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 and we'd leave a space and we worked it out so that we could do that so it felt completely utterly customised wow. and then we'd turn up in Brighton on Friday where we never played before let's say for example and there's 70 people there and, and then they come up to you after the gig and they tap you on the shoulder and they go, it's me! <laughs> and, and, and of course they think that you've been talking to them. Hi, um, John, Sarah, Jimmy, <laughs> Dave, Paul, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, you bring in your soft acting skills. Oh, hey, it's you! Oh, good to see you! And, uh, but, you know... That's brilliant. But man. people came to the gig and of course if the music's bad, they're not going to come back again. So it's y y y that's why the, the rehearsal was important three days earlier or whatever because... You know, if they if they turn up, oh God, these guys are terrible. We're not going to see them again. Whereas if you know, staying behind, having a chat, whatever, it means they're going to come back next time or next time we're on that part of the world with the people that you know might remember you. So yeah, I don't makes, think that's changed. Yeah, I think it makes such a huge difference when you actually see a band live. Like there is such you have a connection with that band. It, like whether you like them or not, if you like them, there's a really strong bond. 
And uh, yeah, it happened to me uh, early this year. I saw a band called Dream Wife, who I would never have bought tickets for at all. Someone said, oh, I've got tickets for this band. I can't go, I'm ill. You're going to be, you'll be in town. Do you want to go and see it? And I went to see it and it was not a band that I would have ever bought tickets for, but it was fucking great. It was really good. And like now I, I always, I like, you know, I sort of stay with them a little bit. I see where they're touring and I love their music. Um, but yeah, that difference of seeing someone live, uh, it makes a huge, huge difference. I does. I it, there's a connection there, isn't there? Yeah. There's a, there's a, it's almost like a, a timestamp. Like, you know, the way, you know, like, you, let's say you create a song idea on your phone. Well, you wouldn't on that phone, but you know, on mine, And then there's like your copyrights there, you know, your digital timestamp. And I think that experiences like that with Dreamwife, let's say, for example, it's like an emotional timestamp. You're, you, you, you're, you, you're subconsciously putting together uh, the people you were with, what the band were wearing, uh, what song they started with. You might not remember all those details 10 years from now, mm-hmm. but it's in, it's in your subconsciousness and you're associating that moment and that time. And that moment that you had with them will never be the same again, even if you see them again in two years or less than that. So it's important. Yeah, man, that's yeah. a really, really good point. It is like a snapshot. I think now Facebook is sort of, you can do that stuff that you were doing back then in like a sort of um, in a really ingenious way what you were doing there I think um, Facebook now sort of do that type of thing don't they with like targeted they do targeted but people are savvy stuff. to it now it was new then I think people people are people know they're being targeted now don't they you could we could I could leave my laptop open right now <clears throat> and um, leave the camera and the mic on and me and you could talk about I don't know holidays in Turkey and by tomorrow I'm going to get an advert Really, you know that's is that what happening? That's the world we're living in, isn't it? And it, it, I'm not knocking it, but like that's a thing now. It was never a thing back then. People didn't realise they were being spammed back in those days, mm-hmm. and and we didn't even think it was pioneering. We just thought, oh, this is cool. This this saves us some flyering when we get there. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> always, yeah, yeah, you're doing it to save yourself doing something else. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it was but a time saving device. But but uh, but I think yeah okay it's a lot more sophisticated now how you can target people and there's huge value in that of course you know we, it, it puts everybody in control of how they market something which is brilliant but people are savvy to it now and mm. people know when they're being spammed a bit more these days you know definitely um, and I guess there's a lot to sort of go through anyway on the internet isn't it we all have, <clears throat> there's so much happening in all of our feeds and all of our things that platforms that we're working on something really has to stand out and if it looks like it might be a bit spammy it's immediately just a cast away yes yeah exactly so you're how do you describe yourself when people say, like, what do you do in music? What, what do you say? <laughs> I, you know what? I learnt... My answer to that now is writer producer, right? But, like, years ago, before I sort of went... Because I met my, my, my wife in America, right? She's a songwriter. We went, I went out there a few years ago, and that's where we, we met. You know my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first went to America as a musician, I'd go to songwriting sessions or, uh, you know, song expos, and I'd say to people, um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, my name's Johnny, I'm, uh, I do, you know, a bit of pop music and I play a bit of guitar. And, and then after a while, I soon realised that they they kind of 
they bastardise our language in such a magnificent way because they make everything quick and snappy, you know. It's like, so after a day or so there, I soon realised I'd be, right, I'm Johnny Amos, pop composer from the UK, boom. I never used to talk like that, but you've got to be quick, haven't you? You've got to be succinct about these things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, writer-producer. Right, nice, man. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, you've got so many strings to your bow... With yeah, with all kinds of different things with A and R, with production, songwriting, uh, and ed- education as well. Yeah, uh, which is sort yeah, of where yeah. we met through, through yes. doing through doing workshops. Yeah, um, I don't so, do as much consultation these days. I did do in my early thirties. I worked in A and R for three, two or three years, and I really enjoyed it. And it taught me an awful lot about perspective and about how to communicate effectively with people, especially when people are harassing you. Listen to this, listen to this. And I used to think, oh, God, I used to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then that was A&R and on the label side, and then I went into publishing after that. And it made me realise, actually, I just want to be creative again. And that's a really common thing for a lot of people. I know tons of writer-producers that have gone into A&R jobs and then come back out of it because they're like, you know, I just want to be creative again. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's where I'm at now. At the age of thirty nine, I'm like, oh, I just want to be creative again. I, uh, you know. Yeah, I guess it's like the the productive skills. You want to do stuff, whereas I guess A and R is quite receptive. You're like responding to things yeah. happening, and yeah, you're sort of a robot, I guess, in that yeah. in that sense. And so like, is it good or is it bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then if it's bad, sometimes it's kind of hard. You know, like if if you were to say to somebody, you know. Maybe somebody that isn't a musician that you could say, oh, what's your favourite song? And they'd maybe say, I don't know, Benny King, Stand By Me. Why is it your favourite song? I don't know, it just is. It's good. Why is it good? Because it makes me feel nice. Why is it, how does it make you feel nice? How deep you want to go with that? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The point is that, like, you know, if something is good, it doesn't really matter why it is, as long as you like it. Yeah. I can't absolutely. remember how to this. What were you asking Yeah, me? yeah, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I it, made a point about... Uh, oh, A&R. I know, A&R, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you, okay, so that came from, like, when you I listen to a bit, song... <laughs> when you listen to a song and you kind of go, this is good, and I know where it'll fit, and it'll work in Europe, it'll work for Germany, it'll work for Italy, it'll work... But then you listen to something else and you think, oh, I really like that, but I just don't know where it's going to fit. I don't know who'd cut the song, I don't know... Uh, it, yeah, okay. We could re 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 demo the song or, or change the instrumentation, or it, it might work. But like, I think the thing about A and R now is everything needs to be finished. You know, everyone, no one expects demos anymore. It's like, it's like you, you want something that's a mastered, finished thing that you can immediately license, not mm-hmm. necessarily something that you want to revisit and unpick and spend money on. So, um, people have to. A lot of people don't get that. If you mm. if you if you're submitting a, a demo to a producer, fair enough, because they've got my, you know, piano, vocal, whatever is fine. But but if you're pitching anything to anyone these days, pretty much other than a producer pitch, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. And there's kind of no excuse for it not to be in this day and age with technology being where it's at. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, at least up there for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. So you've worked. You've worked. Um, in lots of different countries, haven't you? You've travelled around. Where Where's your work taken you to? 
Um, well, I'm signed to a Scandinavian publisher, so I go, they're called TG Publishing, they're based in Denmark, so I go to Denmark probably two or three times a year, um, absolutely wonderful country, I love going there, great people, great place, they just they just got everything right over there, I think. Sweden as well, I go to Sweden um, nice. for songwriting trips and for writing camps, um, where else do I go? I just came back from Greece recently. I went to um, uh, studios called Black Rock Studios, which was just incredible. It was built about nine years ago, and it's um, it's set on the island of it's on the island of Santorini, which is where they reckon the original uh, Atlantis was before the volcano blew up about five years ago. Anyway, right, nice. I could go on about that all day, but I won't. <laughs> um, so, so songwriting camps get me around Europe. That's and amazing. then I also go and put my own trips together in America. Um, so what I'll tend to do is I'll do like my own little scouting missions where I'll find people through Instagram or through whichever source or through solicited sources, through my publisher or through other songwriters. And I'll just scout people and just go, right, I want to work with them. And I, as long as I can find a reason as to why I want to work with that person and I'll maybe vet them on Skype first or whatever, you know, just to make sure they're reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll go and put together my own little mini writing camps, mini sort of customised camps where I go and work with different people. That's that's really cool, man. And I never knew. I see. I, I sort of known known you for a few years, and did, and probably more kept in contact through the internet. But I've seen a few people that you've worked with, and I and I follow them now. And I and and they must. There's a girl in America who's got black hair. I think she was singing the stairwell on one of her videos. Oh, Jackie Palladino. Yeah, yeah. that's her. She's great. She's brilliant. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah, so she was scouted by uh, by a creative manager at TG, my publishing company. Uh, she was man- She was scouted online by 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 Lottie, who who is who's there at TG. She told me about it. She was like, "If you're going to if you're going to America, go and, go and work with this girl because she's great." And so I I I went and I found her. She was studying at NYU at the time, so she was like, "Let's go and get a, um, we'll go and get a writing room at NYU." I thought, "Oh, this is this is interesting." Going to, I feel like a fraud here. Going to a <laughs> university in New York, all of a sudden, uh, you know, this kid that was playing first and thirds on a Casio keyboard yeah. uh, went in there, and the the room wasn't available. Like there was some kind of double booking or some issue. So I was like, let's go and write on the stairs because there's a really nice reverberation thing going on, and her voice is just killer, you know. So mm. so uh, we went and wrote this song, and she had just um, bumped into her boyfriend, her ex boyfriend, right in Starbucks at the bottom of the street on Union Square and she, she came so the first time I met her she was crying her eyes out she said I've just bumped into my ex and and um, and uh, it, uh, it was it was horrible and it, it made me feel rubbish I was like right let's go and write a song about it <laughs> so let's, ju- let's juice this moment get something good out of it um, and so I just kind of sat there like a counsellor this is what I do with a lot of pop people right yeah. I'll, I'll just sit there with a notebook as you are now and I'll just go so, how are you feeling what, what happens when you do this and I'm like and I go right in my head, I go right. That's the second verse. <laughs> you need a starting point here. So, how did you meet? How did you meet this boyfriend? And then before they go, and I go right. We got half a song here now. So that's how that song came about. And, really? I, and she said to me, uh, "I don't even know what love is. Can you tell me? Can you tell me what 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 is love?" I was like, "Can you tell me what love is? Great song title. So that's the song we wrote. Can you tell me what love is? Perfect nice. question. It's the ultimate question, isn't it? And do they know? Do they know that you're doing that? No, 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 no. I've got friends that wrote the first Girls Aloud album, and that's how that album was written they just put the girls on the couch and went right who's got a boyfriend who does this where, where do you where do you go and do that who likes skateboarding whatever and they just anecdotally put some stuff together 
together and just you know, and then take it away and put the chords behind it and the beat behind it and boom, there you go. So that's genius because that's exactly what we've just done in our dement- working with a dementia group. Ah. That's exactly how we wrote three songs. One of the songs was about um, a sister who was much better than the person singing the song. Like she spoke multiple languages, she was able to do things really easily. And it was all based on what they gave us as song lyrics and I was telling people earlier the lyrics in the song are exactly as they delivered the information and wow. that's amazing that there's that parallel that that worked for you and then that also that's that also amazing. worked for the, the that's completely group. transferable to no matter what level you're at there yeah from grassroots you're talking about dementia clients there you know it, it, that works across the board as a songwriting tool one of many many ways that you can approach to songwriting you know yeah. um which is and then and then and then these things go and take a life of their own you know that song that was almost two years ago now we did that song in new york and i had wow. an email through about a month ago from a label in south africa saying can we uh, can we remix this song I was like, yeah, go ahead, do you think? So I think they repitched the vocal and, and, they, and they've remixed it and it's going out as a single in February, uh, out in February in, in South Africa. And they've absolutely done such a better job than I did with it. I really? Mean, yeah. You right. know, when you listen to something, you're like, God, that is so much better than what I did. That's yeah. brilliant. Mo- that happens to me most of the time. Yeah, I'm sort of, my ears are good enough to go, yeah, what I did was worse then. Uh, that's great, man. She has got an amazing voice. Yeah. Those tours must be so much fun, especially planning them out, you know, when you're like, yeah. oh, go to Boston for two days and then yeah, stay yeah. over. And well, uh, you know, there's, there's, I think you have to go to, the, you know, you have to leave no stone unturned with these things. You just have to absolutely wallop it, you know. And again, mm. that thing I was saying before about my old band, about how we never turned our nose up a plane anywhere. You know, we could play the Astoria. I guess not there anymore. You play there and then the next day... You, I, I'll write songs in McDonald's if I have to. I don't care where I write songs, whether it's in Metropolis or Black Rock or, you know, uh, a little room in a stairwell, wherever. Mm-hmm. I just love writing songs, man, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. where, that's, that's the nucleus of life right there for me. You know, that's that's where everything else comes from is that, that writing, that instinct to just go, right, let's make something here. Mm-hmm. Just chords, words, melody. When it comes to real songwriting, like I'm a purist when it comes to that. And then when to take it away from that and then start all the beat making, okay, that's where it becomes like, whoa, okay. Yeah, know. or the razzmatazz after yeah. <laughs> the sound tech razzmatazz. That's great, man. So what happens when you go to the camps that you mentioned as well? Can you describe them? I- yeah, sure. So, um, so they are usually put together in partnership between different music publishers and uh, with a clear aim of what the territory is going to be. Um, <clears throat> there's usually a, anywhere between 20 and 25 people on the camps. <clears throat> so usually about sort of seven, seven or eight teams of three. And in that three, you've got one producer uh, who may or may not be a top liner and lyricist as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got two top liners and maybe the top liners are also artists, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes it can be, sometimes they're not. And um, you you then pick a brief. So you're, you're, you're given your briefs, uh, okay, today we need this for this artist, um, we've had this lead from this label for that artist, so on this day you pick either this one or you pick that one and then you just go ahead and you, you start from scratch and then... And then when you're done, you're done. I mean, that's why I like the residential camps, because if you're on the residential camps and you're staying in the same place, you can just work through till three or four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. um, and get the whole song done. So you don't have to learn, you're not going home with loads of work then. 
you know whereas if if you uh, another like Blackrock for instance you had to be kind of done by eight or nine o'clock each night because you go out for a lovely dinner and whatever in the evening which is nice I'd rather stay in the studio and get it finished because I think there's a lot to be said for getting something done on the day and having momentum behind it yeah you know and you can't force the creativity sometimes mm, can you you know sometimes no. it happens and then sometimes you've got to wait for it and let it just settle yeah i used to think that i'm not convinced about that anymore really? if i'm being really honest what yeah do you do? yeah what do you um, do? <laughs> I, I i try and um i well it might sound a bit wacky but i i'm i'm i meditate a lot and and, and i try and uh Actually, not as much as I used to. I should do more. But anyway, um, I try and focus ideas so that I can tap into them when I when I need to. So I remember years ago hearing Paul McCartney talking about this subject, and he was talking about how when his ex-wife Linda was still alive, he would go and take her to a cookery class, and he'd sit there in the next room and write a song. And I was mm. a kid, and I'd be thinking, listen to that story, thinking. How does he control the muse like that? Like, it just comes to you and it goes. Mm. But I think after years of effort, you can kind of start to channel it in the right way. And there's certain yardsticks, certain things you can do to measure it. So, for example, I go to these writing camps with a completely open mind to everything around me, whatever idea anyone's got, right? So I'm reactive songwriter to whatever ideas are there. However, I'm also there with, like, seven or eight full tracks that are, like, mixed... They sound like hit records without vocals on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have like two or three pages of titles and song concepts, not fleshed out into anything, just l- titles, you know. Um, and and then I also have like some melodies on voice notes on my phone or whatever. So there's just some kind of starting point that can then be reactive into into that space, you know, where people can kind of go, I don't like that or I do like that. Let's move that note around here or whatever it might be, you know. Cool. And are you there with like your laptop moving things around and yeah, yeah, flipping the melody back to front? Yeah, yeah, reverse it and do this and do that and yeah, all that kind of stuff. It, um, for some reason, when you you know you're talking about top line stuff like lead lead lines, I guess. That's with vocals, isn't it? The top line, like yeah, the vocal melody, yeah, or, or riffs, or whatever. Yeah, well, oh, is it okay for riffs as well? Because that reminded me of um, when we lived in Brazil. We had a parrot. When I lived in Brazil, we had a parrot. I know you um, lived in Brazil. Wow. Yeah, I lived there. Two thousand and eleven. Two thousand eleven. I lived there for a year wow. teaching English. We had a parrot, and it loved music. It was a blue-fronted Amazon. It was. It was like a green parrot that's about this big, super in, hyper intelligent really good diction it could replicate like the human voice I could no talk problem. yeah I love talking birds they yeah, freak me out it was man great it was the best pet I've ever had wow. I've got such a strong relationship with that parrot and um yeah but some songs really connected with it like it really loved songs some songs like the melody what the, what's the Britney Spears song where it like it I think it was Rusko that produced it where it's it cuts the vocal so it goes da 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 Ooh, I can't yeah. think what song that is now. It's yeah, a Britney but... Spears song. Um, okay. Uh, and he absolutely loved that melody. Like, the moment you played that song, really? you'd go crazy. And also, Beyonce um, put a ring put a ring oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah. That, he just loved those melodies. All of the Beatles songs, like the Beatles songs from back in the day, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Love Me Do, all that really? stuff he loved. So I was thinking, oh, it'd be such a great barometer to have a parrot in your studio <laughs> so you could be like the uh, the final decision because like, I don't know if it sounds good anymore. Double up as a <laughs> sampler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So wow. good. But like, yeah, I think a, a really good top line, what I'm trying to say is what a really good top line is 
just a really good top line for yeah. her. You know, it just works. There's something about those relationships. Yeah, it's, it's the essence of a song, isn't it? You know, hit. like look what we just did right then. If you analyse the previous sentence of what you just said, you know, the melody went like this, right? So if it's, if you say to somebody, how does that song go? They're going to sing you the top line. They're not going to sing you the chords because our voices are just monophonic. Yeah. You can't do that. So you don't sing chords. You don't sing the drum beat. We, we, we emulate something by singing a top line. That's mm. what really, when you really look at it, that's what a song is. Yeah, definitely. It's manipulated by chord substitution or production or whatever, but that's how most people associate a song. What is a song? Like it goes like this. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sound engineer for um, Amy Winehouse's album oh wow Back to Black yeah and um, he has this really great method of working that I'd never heard anyone talking about but it's genius right so and, and it's relating to like this finite time that you can got to you've got to work in yeah and also relates to working at night <clears throat> so what he'd do is if he have some if he had someone in to work on a song for like five nights or whatever they start off working at like eight till 12 o'clock at night on the first day in the evening this is just how he worked and then the next day they do 9 till 1am and then the next night they do 10 till 2am and so because what he was talking about was getting like the magic hour in the, in oh, the early right. hours okay. maybe maybe I've started that quite late maybe they didn't start off so late it was like 6 till 10 okay then. but like moving the time into like more into night time which is like slightly more magical uh yeah it's just a cool oh, way right. of working to okay. like instead of going in and going right we'll do like nine till four every day for four days and we'll get these songs done like shifting that time period later and later into the night so it became yeah it just became like a weirdly ah. more magical experience it's it's funny you mentioned the magic hour there though because the, you, you you more often than not are I've experienced that in, in collaborations. And you can be at it for 11 hours, 12 hours, sometimes longer, and you have that magic hour. Where, and then you spend the rest of the day trying to recapture that magic hour. What was it we did again? Mm-hmm. That's why everyone's got their phones out, you know. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, my wife and I, we, we ran some songwriting camps that, that we put together, and we set up the collaborations for only one hour each, for each collaboration. It was like six in a day or something. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. It didn't work because the reason it didn't work is because we 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 talk a lot about the magic hour. It's interesting you use that term. Uh, I'm sure we're not the only ones, but um, uh, but we we were like, well, let's just have the hour. Let's just have the hour, and it doesn't work because you need the three hours before, you need the four after, or whatever to be able to find that magic hour. Mm-hmm. You can't just pluck into it, you know. But I like I like that you're approaching it and going, what if we did it like where they just have an hour each together? Because there is like the 80-20 rule, isn't there, mm. that everyone talks about, where it's like you do 20% of, you do 80% of the work and 20% of the time, and the rest of the time is just like fucking nonsense. <laughs> so what you could do to, to, to sort of twist, to change the idea a little bit, is to go, yeah, we're going to do our slots, but um, you've got one hour slot, and then you've got like a break, and then couple of hours later you do another hour and then you do another one like breaking it up into sessions I mean I'm only saying that because mm. the advice I've been given recently in the studio is to have a timer on what I'm working on so 20 minute timer I work in 20 minute bursts 
and it's amazing for productivity because you're then able to realize how long you're spending on certain things so you don't go down the rabbit hole uh, of snares for four and a half hours right and then leaving the studio going i haven't done anything there because you've been lost in trying to get the snare right or something so you're working 20 hour 20 minute bursts and you get a sense of perspective on on how long you're taking on stuff and okay that's that's too long to have done that or work on something else or yeah wow do you find that to be quite effective it's really good yeah wow that's impressive and it's also a rest for the ears too because you know we've all sat there in the studio for like six hours with the music just pumping loud by which point the emotional attachment to that pressure change is zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The bass okay. just doesn't make you feel the same way. No, no, and your ears get tired and stuff, don't they? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, wow. 20 minutes doesn't seem very long, though, does it? It's not, but then, it, but it's really good because when you start the time, you're like, right, 20 minutes to do this thing I'm going to do now. Wow. And then often, if you've got a big job, you know it's going to take more than 20 minutes, but you're like, do this part of it, 20 minutes get that done, have a bit of rest, have a walk around, you know, okay. think about something else and then come back. It is really good. I'll try that. Yeah, yeah okay. give it, definitely give it a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. It, I, I find if I'm doing synth, synthy stuff, I can't keep to the 20 minutes. It's like, <laughs> no, it's still going. Is that like, because it takes longer or because you're so engrossed in it? So into it. Okay. I just like, don't want to stop. I'm just yeah. like buzzing off it. <laughs> But with some things, it really works. It really, it's really worked for me. Like with that track I sent you that oh, I was yeah, working on, yeah. which was a, an absolute pig to work on, and I'd spent too long working on it. But that ended up saving me that process because it was I could focus what I was doing a lot more. Oh, right. And wow. It doesn't have to sound good, uh, that track, eventually. It sounds amazing. And it sounds like you had really good fun making it as well. It didn't, yeah. It didn't sound like a long, laborious task. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the word fun because uh, I sent it to uh, one of the guys at Sonic State, you know, the website. Oh, okay. Really and he said it sounds fun, oh. which is really good. I'm like, wow. There's, there's, by the end of it, there's very little fun in here for me. <laughs> I'm glad someone else is getting fun out of it. And that right there is the key thing, isn't it? You yeah. Know, like, it doesn't really matter what you think about it anymore. It's how it's received. Exactly. That's a hard pill to swallow for a music creator. It is. It is, because you think like, oh... I'm slogging through it, they'll slog through listening to it, but no, uh, that's not the case. People don't care, they're unforgiving and fickle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I talked about myself. No, it's nice, that nice, stupid. Mate. I like it. Great, so, yeah, how about, um, so you have a company called Song Lab, yeah. you set up. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about that, like, yeah. uh, when you set it up, why you set it up? Yeah. Um, what you had to do to set it up. Right, okay. So, um, so uh, that came about because uh, my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, so, so when she moved to the UK from America, we were like, we want to, like, work together, and we're both in the music game. So let's set up something which we can do together, but not just like for the sake of it, let's actually have a purpose behind it. So we set up five stream, five areas of business that we felt we could work at, right? And we were like, right, within two years, three of those streams will start to emerge as the most profitable and the most fun streams. So that's what happened and and what happened is we took on we were do, we were putting together songwriting camps we were doing publishing sync licensing all sorts of different things and then we started an educational branch and then we started doing backing track work uh, and, and and all these things were like okay let's work out what brings us the most joy 
because we've got our other outside interests doing this and doing that but what ultimately what what's the what's the best bits like what's the bits that make us go oh we haven't got to do that today you know or mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm looking forward to doing that today um so we really enjoy the educational side of it and the community music side of it and that kind of stuff and that and also uh, we really enjoy making tracks for labels backing tracks for artists and still independent artists and stuff as well so then we started to concentrate on those things and then um and less so on the publishing um just because there's um with the publishing side, you know, you get hassled by people all the time. Listen to this, listen to this, and I think, what am I supposed to do with it? I'm like, what, what? I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I've I've run out of like things to say to people now. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. I don't know. You know, um, so um, uh, uh, and so again, it came back to that thing I was saying earlier about wanting to be creative again. You know, yeah. um, and uh, 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 wanting to do something that's meaningful and, and enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, it's ultimately what matters, isn't it? Definitely, and you both of you are phenomenally talented. I worked with you oh, on you. a couple of workshops, and um, yeah, amazing duo that you know <laughs> you're married and you're both really good singer songwriters, and oh, yeah, thank you. Well, it Incredible. was it it was a lot of work because when we first started to look into different spaces, and um, we thought, right, well, if you're renting the space, then you want it to be big enough but not too big and you need to think about the safety and enjoyment of other people that come here and so on and so forth and you know little things like I don't know trademarking the logo you know like I, I, I've trademarked a few logos now but at that time I used to think how do you go about doing something like that does it cost lots and lots of money and, and then mm-hmm. you go oh no it doesn't it costs like 200 quid and there's we're in Britain we're in a wealthy country there's people's jobs to make sure that, that that's something that that can happen for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, there was things like that, and then there was, and then there was all the fun stuff like getting the PA and the, you know, getting the I don't know the fridge for the milk or whatever, you know, just little things. Um, and and then after a certain amount of time, it then started to kind of become something which sort of runs itself, which we can dip in and out of. And then it, now, uh, in a, in addition to all the other things that happen at the Song Lab, we also use it for our own kind of uh, space for writing sessions or moments like this mm-hmm. great man yeah, yeah it's a great it's a great place um, it keeps us out of trouble yeah just <laughs> how long have you had song lab then about three and a half years four years maybe yeah uh, in fact where are we now yeah about four years yeah yeah cool and we are of course in Birmingham we are Which... not Alabama yeah <laughs> Yeah, I've flown out. No, I know we are. I flew out to see you. Remember, it's uh, yeah, which which is known for having a really vibrant scene in music as well as. Are you from Wolverhampton? Did you grow up? From no, I grew up in yeah. Hales Owen, um, and um, and yeah, you know what? When I was a kid, I didn't realise about the whole history of heavy metal and all that kind of stuff. I didn't. I, I just didn't think anything of it. Like I, I remember, you know. Going playing football with Robert Plant's son, and then he was at college, and, and Robert Plant would be at games, and you know, and I'm not saying that was like, oh, that was normal. It's you know, it's not, it's Hale's own. It's not, uh, it's not uh, you know, uh, Primrose Hill, but mm-hmm. uh, but 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 you know, and then Ju- Judas Priest lived down. A couple of them lived down the road from my mum and dad. You know, and I never ever think thought anything of that. But then when you grow older and you, I don't know, you travel. Let's say you're in America and you're driving down a highway and you see a billboard that says, we play more Led Zeppelin than any other radio station. And you think, wow, 
that's, that's a huge. big deal, yeah. That's a big deal. It means a lot to a lot of people. Now, I knew they were popular, but the heritage of Sabbath and Jews, all this stuff that's associated with, with the Midlands, I didn't think much of it as a kid and learned more about it as I, as I grew older. Mm. Although, unfortunately, it does have its downsides as well because uh, people become preoccupied by their past. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I love Los Angeles, right? But kind of like that there, a lot of the places there, you know. Sunset Strip it's just so preoccupied by its past that it doesn't have a present you know mm-hmm. how do you mean like with artists that are playing yeah places? with the late 60s era or the 80s era and Guns N' Roses and 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 I'm digressing here but you know when 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 somewhere is preoccupied by its past it stops living a little bit so now the the live music scene in Birmingham is amazing is and it? it never has been in my life but now it is there's just venues everywhere um, and there's there's drum and bass nights, there's grime nights. You know, there's all sorts of different things that go on. Indie rock, blah blah blah. blah. I suppose every city has its own flavour, which is nice because in the days of we're in the golden age of sort of deregionalisation and, and and retail parks looking exactly the same everywhere. And actually, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for the kind of individualities of cities. And we're in a different era now than we were with the heavy metal stuff. That's gone. That's great, but it's gone. Mm. Went a long time ago, and now. I just, you know, for someone who's now almost 40, I look around and, and, and look at the clubs and look at the students, all, all the stuff that goes on in Birmingham, and I think, right, what's happening right now and where's it heading to five years from now? Because I think as a producer, if you can watch stuff that's bubbling up from the underground before it hits the mainstream, that right there is how you make money. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's being at the and and a little bit of like the synergy you mentioned earlier, being in that right place at the right time. Maybe you meet someone who knows about something that yeah. that, that you learn about and then start to work. I, I get it from listening to students. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 what are you into? What are you listening to? Who? Billy Eilish. Wow. Who the hell's that? Wow. Oh yeah. You go. Wow. Gosh, she's great. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. And then you kind of go. Well, look at those. What the hell are those snares? They they they're, they're like. Like three hundred hertz snares. What the hell's this? This is brilliant. Really, yeah. You know, and that yeah. only comes from, you know, asking people, isn't it? Listening. And... And another really good technique someone told me the other day, which is so simple, is <clears throat> mixing your own tune like a, like a DJ, like a, with, a, with a set of decks or yeah. serato, whatever you've got, yeah. mixing your tune in to a tune that, you, that you're aiming to be like. Wow. And seeing like, oh yeah, God, the bass is not loud enough on mine. You know, sort of A being it, but you're doing it as a DJ would. To hear it as context. To hear it in context. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating, right? I'm not just agreeing for the sake of it. Right behind you over there, is uh, is a, a, a set of deck they're in that hard case at the minute mm-hmm. um, she's a big pioneer you know digital DJ control and I one of the many things I do in it is exactly that really? because I gain context from listening to something yeah. and I'll just very often I'll just cheat, hit the sync button and just you know put uh, if I'm doing a future pop track I'd put it next to like you know a Chainsmokers track or Gar- Martin Garrix track put it at the same tempo and just filter one out and filter one to just go is this could this be part of the same playlist? Yeah, you know, and 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 to answer that honestly, it, it, it's quite hard. It takes years of experience, I think, to be able to go right. Is this any good? Because mm-hmm. when we make music, we we we, lo- we love the new things. 
In fact, to look deeper at it, we love our own songs in the same way that we love our own children more than we love other people's. Mm-hmm. People might laugh at me for saying something like that. No, that's that. fucking true, man. It's true, I'm, isn't I'm, it? I'm smiling because that is so true with my own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's natural. Yeah. No, no crime in it whatsoever. But we lose that sense of objectivity when we create something. Because we, we, we don't see it for what it is anymore. And so by throwing it onto a deck next to a whatever track, you can start to see it again. Mm. I, I even have, when I can't be bothered to set that up, I have a little one, little Hercules Serato thing, which I just put into Serato and, and do it on there because I can do it on the, on the go then with my headphones on. Yeah. And it just gives it a bit of context. There, it's yeah. a really good, very simple, very mm. simple trick to, to really test the metal of, of what you've got yeah, yeah yeah and i think part of production is just knowing as many of those little nuggets of of all oh, try this or you know try that that get you yeah that get you to a, a place in in good production yeah it's, you always need context always yeah yeah so going back to pop, I know you're sort of you, you you're focusing around pop, which is which is great. Like it's, I remember when pop was a dirty word, and I remember when I'd never say it, tell anyone that I like pop music. But Still is to some people. Do, do you think? Mm. Do you think? Yeah. Mm. But um, I was going to ask you about what you would say was perfect pop. Like if if the if such a things exist, let's say that it does exist now, perfect pop. What would that be? What sort of artist? Some, and who some, that be something you? what the, the Danes call it sticky. Something sticky. So something that sticks to you, you know, hooky. Mm-hmm. If it's sticky, it's going to sit with you. But again, I'm going to go deeper than that, right? Because what really matters is if you're feeling something, others will feel it too. And it's the same thing as going, right, I need to fix my boiler, right? I'm going to go on Google and work this out because I am not the first person this has happened to. Right? Yeah. So it's the same thing when you're writing something. If you go, right, my heart's broken because he or she left me or whatever. There will be other people that get that as long as you communicate it effectively. Mm-hmm. So if you are feeling something and you, you play a chord and you go, I don't even know what chord that is, it doesn't matter because there's software that can detect it these days. Mm-hmm. What matters is that you're feeling something while you're doing it, because all the other stuff is painting by numbers, and the skill to it, you know I know that. Mm-hmm. But the pure, raw state of songwriting it, uh, hasn't, uh, it is just pop music, you know, it just abbreviates. It's popular, doesn't it? You know, reggae fits into it, you know, garage fits into everything. Yeah. It, it's... it's it, that production manipulates the style of the song more, more than anything else, doesn't it? And who it fits with. And you know, I've written some really, I think, good songs for people that, that haven't got cut because it hasn't fit with that artist, fit with that idea the label wants or whatever. So, it, to make if if it, what makes something pop is if it pops out at you and says, "Right, people are going to like this," mm, and then like you have that. to take a risk on it. Yeah, I like that sticky idea. It's true, isn't it? It's just something that stays with you. Yeah. There's a lot of songs that that, that sort of happens with. Um, but, I mean, like, ABBA is a Scandinavian example of, like, that perfect part. I know it's a long time ago now that they were prominent, but, yeah, their their songs are so sticky, They just you just can't yeah. let and go of them. Tremendously like. complex songs as well, the ABBA songs, you know. Yeah, you sit tempo down changes. Oh, in the, the chorus. What's it in uh, Lay All Your Love On Me? The chorus gets slower. Yeah. And never, um, Who does that these days? Yeah, it's so you know, weird. Yeah, it, it's not that many... You know, I'd I, I, I challenge anybody to try and pick out songs 
that actually slow down. And I'm not talking half-time stuff. I mean, actually mm. slow down and speed up. Yeah. Come on, Eileen, does it? A couple of ABBA songs. I can't think of any others. No, and it's a risky business. Yeah. I've always found when I've tried to change, when I've automated the tempo first, oh, no. normally for me where things go very wrong. Yeah. They've already gone quite wrong. Don't do it, don't do it, don't. It's too hard. It's, 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 it's so disengaging for people, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. It's, and no, I always just relate to the DJ and I'm like, mm. that's going to really piss off a DJ. Oh, gotcha. You've got it all ready to go. Yeah. They can't use a cue on that, can they? Yeah, and they just keep pressing it every beat. <laughs> Still in time. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we, you did mention this guy earlier. Well, we talked about EDM earlier. Mm. And I was going to mention, because uh, Avicii died this year. Yeah. And, um, like, I'm not saying that I loved his music or I was a huge fan of his music, but he had some ability to make music that a lot of people loved, didn't he? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm, I'm really glad you asked me about Avicii because that, his death had quite a big impact on me um, because... We, you know, we've lost loads of legends, haven't we, in the last few years, and we will continue to do so. Sadly, it's all part of death's a part of life, and all that's it. But mm-hmm. when he died, it really, really, I felt really hurt because I, I, he has left an Avicii-shaped hole in the world, and it's really difficult to fill it. And I think yeah. what made him unique was his ability to be able to hear something and just do something special with it. You know, in fact, I know there's a good friend of mine who I write with who wrote the final ever song he did. Really? Um, wow. And it was, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I shouldn't really speak on his behalf about it, but it was very, very emotional. It was, it was about, um, it was about painkiller. He was addicted to painkillers, and it was, it was, it was, it was about that subject. It was a metaphor for mm. something else, actually. But it, he associated himself with it because of what he was going through. But um, just his ability to just hear a song, you know. All right, wake me up. Look at wake me up, right? It's country EDM. Yeah, it's folk who, music. Who the hell did country EDM before Avicii came Exactly. Along? I was thinking about this on the way up. Uh, exactly that song, because I remember being on a bus in Spain in the middle of the night, and that song came on, and I was like, this is amazing. What is this? It's like folk music that turned into a yeah. huge dance track. Who could pull that off? Nobody. There was nobody no. that would have ever even tried to do it. No. And and even the, even the riff in that, if you take it away from the country folk element and just and look at the ding ding did a little ding ding ding, it sounds like if you really look at that melody, you it feels like you're going round in a helter skelter. It's taking you somewhere, you know. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, and, and you yeah. Think, wow, that's that's just that's mad. And yeah, levels is like that too. The riff in levels. Yes, yes. It is. It's a similar thing. You're yeah. like. It takes you up and down, but it's always sort of got you. There. It's hypnotic, but it's not stuck anywhere. It's yeah. not a loop that's on. It's stuck. It's going somewhere. And the way he mixed music was phenomenal. And most notably, how he's inspired others to not emulate but simulate how he does stuff or how he did things. So, for example, let's say a song like um, uh, Mike Posner. I took a pill in Ibiza, right? Song like that. I wholeheartedly don't believe that hits like that would have come around if Avicii hadn't done it because Sieb did that right Sieb Norwegian duo that remixed that song they'd heard it it was like 74 BPM they took the acapella sped it up to like 118 or whatever put their own thing behind it it became a hit and I remember seeing Mike Posner at Glastonbury a few years ago playing that song and he did his acoustic version of it and it just went flat because it wasn't the version that the world knew but Mm -hmm. my point is that acts like Sieb 
took songs like that and did amazing things with them, I think, as a result of what Avicii was doing with Beanie. Exactly, yeah, songs. I think, you know, there's so many people that when he was, when he was alive hated him and, and were disgusted by EDM. And, but I always remember with his music, like, I was like, that guy's got something. He's got some, like, amazing melodic creativity that just looks so easy. Because if you watched him when he was on, like, Future Music magazine, he's, he's just sort of at his computer, hunched over, just <laughs> making, like, the greatest melody ever just by looking at, you yeah. know, uh, was it FL Studio Piano Roll? Yes. And he's, like, just yes. putting it together. But it's absolutely amazing. It, he was such a great talent. And, yeah, I think, I think you're right. He, he did inspire a lot of people. And uh, yeah, he made so many people happy. Like oh, regardless of people go, thing. he made shit music. You can't say he made shit music. No, he didn't. Millions of people were smiling, jumping around, listening to that oh, all over the world. Anybody that ever says he made shit music, I could write them a twenty-page dossier as to why they're wrong. <laughs> I really could because he 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 was just his his reactive ability to music was phenomenal. You know when you think about it, right? If you, you create music on the one side of your brain and you detect whether it's any fucking good or not is over this side right or the right. other side of your head right so what really defines you as a musician is this interfacing in the middle is it good is it not have I done something right have I not am I good at creating things in the first place right now <laughs> he was able to combine those things and do and project something of just pure brilliance and what I think wound a lot of people up the wrong way it was was how we do stuff live. And I, I'm, I, I love people like Don Diablo and Martin Garrix and all these EDM guys that kind of go out and just, they've got their laptop and their DJ controller and they're, they're not doing a whole lot, you know, they're dancing around, but who cares, right? Because mm-hmm. when you go and watch a rock band, they're playing it all live and people get it, right? It's tangible, it's digestible, it's consumable. They're right there and they're playing their instruments and they might make mistakes, right? You go to an EDM gig, it sounds utterly amazing because it's been pre-mixed and they're doing stuff on the fly that's, you know, cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all and, synced. Yeah, it's all synced. And, and it, you know, no one minds because you, that's, what you, that's what you buy into, you know. And you, you go to, a, I don't know, a Steve Aoki gig and you know he's going to get the cake out and throw it at people. And, <laughs> and it's just a great big party. You know, it's just, it's just wonderful. I think, I think what EDM has become in this modern age is phenomenal. You know, it's dominating the... Las Vegas, it's, it's dominated Ibiza for God knows how long, and it will continue to do so. Look at Tomorrowland. Yeah. It's the biggest thing in the world. That's crazy. I love that video of um, David Guetta when he's tripping at Tomorrowland. Have you seen that? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favourites. I love that video. He's just staring at the camera, and there's like this hypnotic hypnotic scene happening behind him and he's going oh shit <laughs> but I think it's great because you know I I, I, I'd be as bold as to say I think Guetta Guetta however you know, say his name he's a genius I, I really think that yeah, and he's crafted really oh hard, god you know not only has he learned his craft as a DJ but also he sits and okay so here's why a lot of people have a problem with him right it's because he doesn't do a whole lot on stage live right I would I, I, but here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand his work is pre-programmed, right? His work is when he's not on stage, and that's why it's so damn good when he is on stage, and his ability to evolve. So if you mm-hmm. look at what he did with Sia on the first time they collaborated with Titanium, boom, 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 128, four on the floor. Look at his last single with Anne-Marie, You're Not Alone. It's just amazing. It's, just, it's moved into what you look what he did with Bieber earlier on this year. You know, he does this stuff where 
Okay, he's like, right, okay, I'm not going to have a beat two. There's no kick on beat two anymore, right? Because that's where the world's at. So instead, he'll he'll do something completely different with technology and triggers of auto-tune triggers. And, you know, look what he did on that hook on Alone with Anne-Marie. It's just genius. I've never heard anyone do that before. Not even the Chainsmokers have managed to do what he did with that what, hook. What did he do? He, uh, I think, I've reverse-engineered it, and I might have got it wrong, but I think what he did was he used uh, auto-tune effects to MIDI trigger the notes so that the pitch quantization was perfect and perfectly modulated into a brand new hook. So I think that's what he did, right? But that now that might not be perceived as creative skill. That's detective skill, which is equally as important, if not it's more important. Technical skill to know that that's possible. That as well, yeah. You know, I mean, you could accidentally just do it, but more than likely he's gone, oh, what happens if yeah. you do that? But even if you did it accidentally, that's okay, because... Yeah. You could either you do something accidentally, you could either go, uh, Oh, I didn't mean to do that, or you could go, Hang on a second, that should be a feature in this track. That was brilliant. Yeah, it's just opened a door yeah. somewhere. How I often know. do you move something around in FL or Ableton or whatever? And you move something, and you go, Oh, bugger, put it in the wrong place. Oh, no, it's much better there. Yeah. And that's your detective skills right there. Exactly. I think the thing that occurs with me in Ableton is when you know when the loop point goes to like one beat. Oh, yeah. Jing, 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 yeah. But you've got a melody bit in there and you're like, fuck, yeah. duplicate that all the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Oh, I yeah. I know moments. exactly. Yeah, that's a lovely feeling. Yeah. Now, what was I doing all this time before then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's way better. The accident's better than what I was trying, yeah. trying to do. <laughs> What sort of stuff are you working on at the moment? What are you up to now? At the, at the moment, moment? Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to uh, get successful in Asia, specifically South Korea. Uh, it, the K-pop market is just, you know, when I first heard K-pop music, I just thought, this is crazy. What the hell is this? You've got, like, you know, a singer-songwriter verse going into a rock pre-chorus, going into an EDM chorus, dropping into a future bass chorus B. This is chaos. This is And then I started listening to it more and more and more. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the guys that are on the same roster as me have done quite well out there, and it's a very physical market. You make good money. So I thought, OK, I'll keep listening to this. So I did what I've done with various genres over the years. I... I have little techniques where I immerse myself into a genre or genres by listening to it nonstop. So I fall asleep to it at night. Really? Yeah, keep it wow. in so it soaks itself into my psyche uh, <laughs> so that I can then start to work out numbers behind where the kicks are. And, and then uh, I'll just make sure that I listen to it constantly when I'm driving. So even though you might want to have a treat and go, oh, I want to put on, I don't know, free, free radio 80s. As a, that's my treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think, no, can't do that. I've got to listen to the, the latest K-pop playlist on Spotify because I need to listen to it. So that's what I'm working on at the minute and I want to get some hits out there and, and I, I'm working with the right people to make that happen. I just need to carry on learning. And my next, my next, I'm actually doing a side project for the first time in 10 years called Glow Beats, which launches next year, which is an EDM future pop act, which is basically me uh, collaborating with other artists and releasing material and sample packs and stuff like that. Um, and that has basically come about as a result of um, writing all these songs at songwriting camps internationally for people and just knowing that you've done something good that sometimes doesn't even get cut because it's not, not because it isn't necessarily good enough, but because it just it's not suitable for whoever. So I think, mm. right, I want to get this music out there, but not just ego, 
you know, not just because I want to, but because there's a purpose. Yeah. And so um, I'm, I'm really, really, really into where the market's moving in terms of uh, how you can lease tracks and how you can release a track and then have people sample it and make money off it that way. And all, I'm, I'm not, I keep talking about money because we have to make a living, but it, mm. it, it, it has to be sustainable ideas. But I'm just interested where, where everything's moving to at the minute because, you know, uh, even five years ago, people were still talking about downloads. And that's dead as a dodo now. And streaming is kind of helping our industry again. A lot of people don't see it that way, but it is. You only have to look at stats to see that there's year-on-year growth with streaming. Yeah. The next thing after that is is kind of resampling where people can buy the music in order to use it for themselves. So you're almost selling music to community, music creators mm. uh, and, and DJs and so on and so forth. And so that, that's, a, that's a, 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 a growing market. It's not going anywhere. It's getting stronger and stronger. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's just nice to be kept up to date with... I mean, I'll, I'll work on whatever, Chris, really. You know, if, if my publisher says, oh, we need a singer-songwriter track for some kid who's just signed to Warners in America, cool, right, I'll do that. Whatever. I, I, it's not that I don't care. I care. Of course I care. But it's you, I write them songs in my head, not my heart. Yeah. You know? Um, I think Ben Folds has quite a famous song of his called um, One Down. And it's about getting another song down that he was meant to do. You know, like writing, like you're saying, like writing songs with his head. Because whoever's asked him to write a song, he's just got to do it. And the lyrics for the chorus are one down and 3.6 tomorrow, then I'm out of here. Oh, so right, like, wow. I've got one song done. I've got 3.6 songs to do tomorrow, and then I can go home. Ah, that's, that's interesting. It's a, okay. classic, it's a classic, like, if you're a big Ben Folds fan, which I definitely was, maybe not now. I mean, it's huge, but I was when I was, like, 15 or 16. When he plays that on stage, like, the real hardcore, like, yeah, that's the fucking oh, song. Oh, wow, that's interesting. One down. Okay. Really yeah, he cool. was Ben, ben Folds Five and all that stuff. That was big, wasn't it? Oh, I loved yeah. it. I was yeah. a huge fan. At yeah, college, that was like I was like my band. Oh wow! Fucking loved them. Saw them <laughs> live. Saw them live at Birmingham Academy. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, no Manchester Academy. Manchester Academy. Uh, yeah. Oh, they were yeah, huge yeah. fan when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh wow! No, that's nice, man. But yeah, I suppose it's, you can write from your head. There's nothing wrong with it. Loads and loads and loads of hit records happen all over the world right this second from people writing with their head but you just have to get that balance right sooner or later don't you for, for something to truly resonate globally I think it has to come from the heart yeah look at Adele you know I mean yeah, those songs definitely. are so raw so real exactly you know and and to me I've been I've been translated Adele songs by high contrast you know like right. his remixes his drum and bass versions of like Hello ah. and, and like other pop songs I don't know why. That's when it hits for me. It's like, oh well, that's that that's fine, man. But you know that, that about you, and that's good. You're an experienced musician. You've been doing it a long time. That's good that you know that you consume it that way. You know. Yeah, um, I need it to be one four seven BPM. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, I think the sample industry is an interesting one to get into too. Mm. You can sort of, you can definitely be your own boss in it. And you can definitely carve out your own niche in what you want to do, which is cool. You can the content. It what's great about the sample industries is the content is totally down to you. You know whatever you yeah. want to provide, there's an outlet for it. There's an outlet for well, it. Well, yeah, yeah, and and you know it might be that you know well, I think we're in an age now where you can be walking down the street and hear a busker playing I don't know saxophone, and you think I want to go and collaborate with that person there on a sample pack. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because I know how to do it, and he knows what to play, and if we work together, we can get it done. And I'm, I don't mean that. In the, I'm not. I'm exploiting that sacrifice. I made that example up, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, that's, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, that's definitely how it yeah. works. Absolutely. Um, and you know, and then what happens if you put that that sax through uh, through a vocoder? What happens if you reverse it? What happens if you then put that in a drop on an EDM track? All these things, and you start to go, wow, we've got so many options, but we have to try a lot of different things in order to see. Where it's all going. Yeah. You know. Uh, one sample pack super weapon though is Tim Exile's The Mouth. Oh, Just yes. Just get that. Okay. Because you can run anything through it. Whatever it is, you put it through it and you'll be like, what? I can't believe what that sounds the like. Mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's I've really good. It it's like 40 ago. or 50 quid. But honestly, I've never had anything that I've used and gone, this is like sample back artillery. This is like really. This is like what you need on the front line to 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 just go. What the fuck? I never would have done this. I would never would have made this sound on the saxophone <laughs> without Tim Axel's mouth. Oh wow! For sure, man. I'm glad you said that because I remember it a few years ago, and I haven't done anything since. So I might check it out. Again. It's really good. Just mm. run stuff through it. Just click through all the presets and then change them all. It's, yeah. Wow. It's really, really, really good. Wow. Great. Well, um, we haven't really talked about your number nine in Australia. Oh, that's so fine. We really don't want to hear about that. About. <laughs> and we haven't also talked about your number one that you had as well. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the whole story behind that. But yeah, yeah. that was yeah. the fourth artist who, to cut that song. Mm-hmm. That was one of those ones. That, I, I call that song, that was like a musical tinnitus. It was like a melody that I kept hearing all the time. Right. I totally lost my sense of objectivity behind it changing the chords all the time brought in a co-writer he helped me to finish off the song and we got it cut with um, with a girl that won the voice a few years ago and nothing really happened with her so we, we we ended up using it somewhere else and then somewhere else and then a group used it as part of a hip-hop track they got dropped uh, and then eventually i sent it off to this cool little singer in portugal who came over and was like yep yeah, let's record the song she came over and cut three songs i did three songs for her and then the one became you know hit out there so Brilliant. yeah that was just that you know it's it a, it a bit fluke to be honest like i've written better songs than that but you know whatever yeah you can't control those the reactions from the audience no, can you no. like um yeah Great, man. That's brilliant. That's, <laughs> That's the brilliant. short version. Yeah, yeah, the bullet points. <laughs> There's so much more as well that I, that I sort of planned to ask you, but we've, um, yeah, we've had a good chat, man. Thank oh, you very good. much. Oh, Thank mate. you very much for talking nice. to me. Thank you for coming. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good yeah. to see you too, man. Oh, what an absolutely top guy. Uh, had a great time talking to Johnny. Haven't seen him for a number of years, but um, he's someone who always like resonates positivity. He's always got a solution. He's always got a great musical idea. And he's just a great person to work with. And he is phenomenally talented. Uh, yeah, check out Song Lab as well, the company he runs with his wife. Um, they're both supremely talented musicians and vocalists. Okay, next month I'm speaking to a cellist who works in the electroacoustic realm. She does a lot of cool things, uh, experimenting with the sound and how sound can be generated, made and arranged. It's going to be a wicked chat. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Midiera, this was Midiera Meets and I'll see you again soon.